Geek On With podcasts are produced as Art Work. These podcasts are a collaboration between Incon With and the 1968 film group for Depth for Dex 2019. Welcome to Incon With Podcasts. My name is Neil Ferguson and today I'm in conversation with Joshua Freddie Vaughan. Joshua, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Joshua Freddie Vaughan. I run Take Courage Gallery in New Cross. Um, I'm a sculptor and artist by training. I study at uh, Central St Martins by Amshaw and then City and Guilds London Art School. I um, graduated four years ago and I've been running various art projects for the past eight years, I suppose, I did my first exhibition with a tea company I worked with, and then I um, have since then have been doing various projects throughout South London for some reason. Don't know why it's stuck in South London, but and then West London as well for a while. And now, yeah, at Take Courage and New Cross, that's my latest okay. endeavour. One of the reasons that um, initially I was introduced to you um, by a friend uh, Karen Turner, who runs Cave Space, mm-hmm. and, Karen, and Karen is very much involved in trying to a balance between uh, artists that are interested in challenging themselves in, in a relatively small space and uh, and a kind of and a local aspect to yeah. to, to the, the gallery so that so that there's balance between who comes through the gallery so she was very keen that I should come and meet you it was also very interesting and in, in looking at you when you start mentioning this balance between um, curating and making art, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what we do share is these notions of collaboration and, and individuality where I've done collaborations. But what I want to talk, ask you initially about, I want to explore this, uh, the balance between being an art curator and being an artist and uh, kind of what build around what gets, what, what gets lost and what gets compromised. Sure. Does that... Yeah, so it's a big question. I appreciate. If you want, no, like, we're happy to it's, unpick it. I think the biggest compromise is probably the lack of time I have. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, so I suppose just in a really personal way, that my art practice is very heavily process driven. So I do a lot of bronze work and I do a lot of like casting work, which involves making you know a master model and then and then making that in multiple different forms in clay, then putting like a silicon jacket on it, then casting it in jasmineite. And so it's kind of like this really long winded processes, which kind of like requires answers to kind of drag my work out of me. And then as a, and then trying to balance that with curation, I find, yeah, an interesting intellectual kind of game constantly. I think, I think, I think the way I balance it is thinking that curation becomes a kind of process as well, a process of, I suppose, I've been trying to find this balance recently and trying to think about, yeah, what about my art practice is about curation and it ends up being almost about the way I have conversations with people and the way I curate conversations. So I I, I kind of narrow it down, I suppose. We've spoken about this kind of quite frequently, this idea of the curator is someone who's like an interlocutor and my practice tends to be about mediating and bringing processes along. So I suppose that's how I apply it. Do you think it... Do you think it gets in the way of your actual art practice at times? You know, you know, like because like I'm very aware of the, the the mechanics of running a space or even putting an event on it requires yeah. 
the, the, the guest list or just trying to get people there and, and, and making these connections, you know. Is that, t- you know, like, do you, do you, do you feel pulled? This time management is Time king. management. <laughs> time yes. management. It's so bloody trite and boring, but it really is... Um, I have spreadsheets and lists and timetables and calendars occupying a nastily large part of my wall. So yes, it does get in the way, absolutely. But you have to, unfortunately, that's kind of like responsibility. You just have to, I mean, as, as you know, you just have to go, right, this is this is it. I have to, I have to like drag myself into a state of discipline and go, no, this is the time on Wednesdays. This is my work day. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Or whatever day it is. And then, so yeah, it gets in the way, but I've been trying to find constructive ways to make it part of my practice. And that, yeah. And do you find do you find the the adopting the role of the the curator is it mm. you get you get things from people in a way that you might that that that, that have an influence in the way that you think about your making do do, do they become almost like a a, a, a critical you know a, a, a critical thing that can mm. almost be set that, you know, that this came up at that curating event it's, mm. all, it's like the it's like the silent tutorial if you like you know, the, the people aren't sitting with you yeah totally um, yes I do kind of get things from people I mean as in the sense that you know a lot of the artists who I who I work with by chance people have just come and said hey look I'd like to put a show on at the gallery because I you know I often do I have a kind of fairly I have two different aspects to what I'm curating one is having uh, people just come in and hire out the space for events, which I keep a fairly light hand on the curation and the shows I curate myself. Um, and a lot of the times when I've had these shows where people will come in with an idea and, and I'll kind of go, yeah, cool, okay, let's do this. Their practices will, will kind of just incidentally bounce off of what I'm exploring. So, you know, I'm looking at a lot of alchemy at the moment. I'm very interested in alchemical practices, like kind of 14th and 15th century etchings. And it just happens to be the case that people seem to be exploring similar routes or maybe I'm inferring that maybe I'm biasing that and I'm seeing that but it certainly feeds into my practice in that yeah. sense yeah so it's kind of you, nice. you, you're, you're almost finding people yeah, because you, you're interested yeah. <laughs> you know, there's always like this uh, plethora of artists really out there you had various like if you with a few a couple of conversations with people uh, uh, you know so a bit of discourse you have to start finding people yeah and that's actually more more of what I'm doing. So <clears throat> because Take Courage has actually existed for about a decade, the gallery itself, and it's existed in conjunction with the Amish Arms, which is an events venue um, and kind of bar and music venue, which has kind of got some kind of quite well-known underground repute. Um, it's existed for 10 years, hasn't really been like a well-known space per se. It's like a kind of underground space. People sort of know about it. You speak to them and go, oh yeah, my mate at the RCA showed there like five years ago, or my mate at, you know, Campbell's been there quite a lot. So... I've been trying to put it more on the map and get people to know about it. So I suppose as time goes on, I'll be dragging people in who are more aligned with my interests. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't follow like the, it's a gallery space. It doesn't follow that um, Cork Street, you know, the the, the, the the gallery game where you're adopted by the gallery no. and you're, you're promoted by the gallery. It's like a space for trying things out and moving on from. You know, not the stage that you would never go back there. You know, to yeah. do things. It's 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 like a trial and error. It's like that. It is quite. There it seems to be. Ironically, there are well, it's not ironically there are fewer and fewer of these places in London. Mm. Although though when when there was perhaps opportunity maybe twenty years ago there was actually fewer. You know yeah. everyone was playing a different kind of a kind of fame game in, yeah. a, in a way where I think for some way people who are actually looking to sort of critically challenge roles position their positioning in making art the places like the Tate Gallery and people who are 
prepared to adopt different deba- difficult debates are actually starting emerging again, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, so one of the things which I'm kind of really keen is absolutely keeping this kind of flexible, critical dialogue open in the context of Take Courage is something which I'm really trying to push more. And I'm trying, and I'm pushing that in a kind of, hmm, it's interesting because I feel like the political dialogue and sociological dialogue at the moment is getting very, very dicey and tense. Let's say that's a kind of light-handed way of putting it. So I think it's very important to keep conversations open, challenging conversations, but open in a way which allows people access to them. And yeah. it, I mean, to bring that, to ground that back in an example of actual art practice, something which I constantly say, so I've been hosting a series of conversations with artists at the gallery for the past month. Um, the last group we had was called Preservation. It was a group of artists called Polly Bennett. Um, she was the curator of that particular show. She organized that kind of, and I had a very light hand on that, but I organized talks surrounding that and we would, and the first thing I said in, in each of these talks was, I want to provide an interface with the public where the artwork doesn't compromise on its kind of qualities and the public doesn't feel condescended to. I want to kind of bring the public and the artwork together in a conversation because I feel like ultimately artwork has this universal thing that each individual relates to and in their own way. But I feel like a lot can be gained from this and a lot can be gained from open conversation. Yeah, like I think that, that sets up the, the, the next thing I, I would like to kind of explore or even ask you about, you used a term uh, when we met the other week where you said you you enjoyed the idea of exploring intellectual blankets, mm. and and I, I think you were um, I think we were talking about um, certain kinds of hierarchies, but I, I I I found the intellectual blankets, you know, like like you know, could you know again. Can you give a kind of an instance? Do, do you do you remember saying this? I, I'm not trying to put. Trying words. to think of the intellectual blanket. blanket. And maybe it, like. maybe it was me that wrote that. Because <laughs> because I, th- I know you were talking about the hierarchy thing. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about the kind of uh, uh, cult of celebrity and it, and how that 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 kind of permeates into um, you know like like standards, ethics, mm-hmm. you know, censorship, the whole kind of educational package. Mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. people are given yeah. or whether they expect yeah. you know when they go into you know like and, and it's, it's, it's when there's a there's been a cult of going into art colleges where people are being treated as artists mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we are interested in exploring your ideas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I could take the position that the problem that I often experienced wasn't that people didn't have any ideas because sure. everyone has an idea about something yeah. is they didn't have an actual um, process yeah. to, to yeah, push yeah. This a process to actually develop through. that idea and construct it sure. but the other side of that possibly being that you got the, the notion of the ego of the tutor mm-hmm. being this is the model you should take which again goes back to how the kind of uh, atelier system where the the artist would be painting and sure. the, or, or sculpting and the group would try and mimic them. Yeah, yeah. And like, wh- how, where, where do you, where do we find this balance? Are the <laughs> balances? I mean, okay. So to to bounce off from this idea of starting, uh, this, I suppose the kind of question here is this: whether people sh- people are brought into art school thinking. Uh, that their ideas are somehow sacrosanct and not to be questioned and they should illustrate that idea. And I've always had an issue with illustration, you know. I, always, I think that making comes through a process of being free and being open to kind of questions and being nudged a bit. 
Um, so I think you have to start with process, and I think it's a really hard balance. Okay, so we just we were just speaking about the example of this artist who um, who so a friend of mine, Natalia Gonzalez Martin, runs subsidiary projects in Vauxhall, and um, she had an artist showing with her who unfortunately I can't remember his name, and I would name drop him, but unfortunately I can't, so I apologise. I'll try and remember later, and maybe we'll stick it in the notes. But he he went to the Royal College of Art, and he was a before that he was studying in Italy in Florence, and he was a classically trained painter, and the guy could paint a glacier perfectly. Yeah. And the level of skill there was was spectacular. However, his work was not just about celebration and skill. There was also a very, very powerful, very powerful, and that's not really the right word, of kind of critically aware, complex engagement with the history of fine art and current contemporary art practice. I suppose you might call that postmodern, I don't even know where we are, like a yeah. kind of a, a critic, like, you know, the kind of discourse of criticality about art history was woven into his practice along with his skill. So the guy had a lot to say in terms of his practice. I, I, thought, I don't want to stop, but there's yeah. a kind of reverence in order for him to introduce a form of irreverence. To yes, things. precisely. And that, that's the kind of the argument which I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to thinking about. It's kind of like, yeah, okay, so the, you had Picasso, for example, was trained to a very high level, then was able to throw it out the window and people go, oh yeah, whatever. Well, no, not whatever. Actually, that is the case. I think you need to spend a lot of time honing a skill set to be able to go, right, now I know how to undermine that skill set, you know? Yeah. I think that's really important. And I feel like maybe there's a culture developing now which go which says well yeah don't worry about the skill set we're, we're so advanced we've gone beyond that we exist in a pure realm of ideas like since when did and in fact ironically that's a platonic train of thought which has existed for two thousand years and i think it's erroneous yeah. so anyway that's <laughs> yes. me getting a little bit too philosophical well, i don't want to go yeah but, but there, there are, it, it has a, a knock on effect to where like people like um cream the surface mm -hmm. of looking at a piece of work without yes. ever actually taking time to explore it. It's, 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 it's a natural thing. You know, like, you wouldn't expect someone to go and arguably read a book about something before you looked at it. Yeah. It might help their enjoyment, but it, it, the expectation. What we're now is that the old cult of celebrity. I feel like there's a cult, yes, absolutely, a cult of superficiality. And if you think, okay, so a really easy example is just thinking about Instagram culture and just thinking about... You know, I have to negotiate Instagram culture with the gallery. I have to think, okay, what kind of imagery is going to be attractive to people? What strategy am I going to use to get people interested in the space that I'm running? So I do have to think about things in a superficial way, or at least I have to make judgments about, let me actually need to clarify that. I need to make judgments about whether I want to be superficial in the way that I'm branding yeah. my gallery space the gallery space i'm you know working with or whether you know do i want to be superficial or do i want to represent a deeper story and i feel like it's a balance i feel the actual answer is there is a balance between these two things you need to offer context you need to offer information as well as having something which is attractive in some sense yes um, but i feel like there's an overbearing i feel like it needs to be more weighted on story and narrative i feel there's way too much superficiality going on at the moment too yeah. much interest in surface too much interest in in a kind of aesthetic i suppose it's 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 a very like you constantly it's a it's a it's, it's tricky where the compromise comes in you're like you mm -hmm. you do have and it's it's not a, a, I'm not mean it's not critical it's just very 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 difficult you know yeah. like, arguably you know you if you put a postcard and saying this is what this show is kind of about you know it's it's like it's like examples you know I'll, yeah. I'll, rather than have a van gogh yeah. You could put a postcard. Everybody knows it as the postcards anyway. They, they, very yeah. few people have ever bothered to go and see some of the paintings. You know, like a, <laughs> yeah. a Manny. You know, I mean, yeah. I did a lovely. Um, I used to do a little talk to people about um, an analysing Manny's Folly Berger, mm -hmm. 
And at the end of the talk, I would say to people, I wonder where we can go to see this painting. And they all went, oh, you know, it must be foreign. Mm. Oh, it's in London. <laughs> where are we today? London. Oh, how is this going to work? You know, it's, anyway, and I, I, and I, but it's almost just to try and take people into a little bit of saying a, a position. This, this is a yeah. position. And this is another position of, of uh, how we can in interpret this. And we could put some notes on the wall, which are the, you know, the, the common thing in Tate, Brett and Tate Modern, sure. although some of those notes are open to a little, a tenuous, to say the least, the kind of links that people are making. Oh, you know? this, this, is, this is such a boring detail of curation, I suppose, but it's a very important one for me. I'm, I'm saying boring for me because I kind of constantly bore myself by thinking about this. I'm like, I go into the Tate and I look at the artwork and I go, oh shit, these notes on the walls, what do I look at first? And, this, and I kind of, I overthink this and, it, and it, it bores me, but it is actually really important because, and I feel actually the solution is this kind of stuff. I feel, uh, and what I mean by that is podcasts and, and conversations and I'm kind of I go to pains to try and kind of emphasize this to people I'm working with is like you know we need to have more of an open conversation we have to we have to try and pursue some means to have conversations which are actual conversations you know yeah. rather than snaps and little bits of biographical historical data you know you need to have that dialogue in some way the balance is a, a reflection yeah. on information it's like I, I always feel like saying it now you know because I'm gonna say like Somebody some once said to me, the best way to look at a large exhibition is mm. to walk through it to the, the end and then walk back. Yeah, by that, you know, And that might only take you 10 minutes or 15 minutes. By that, you get a feel of what's, a sense of what's going on in the rooms. You haven't spent 15 minutes jockeying for position over the first three paintings, which are yes. usually what the artist did when they were 16, which... Yeah. I'm never absolutely convinced in the relevance of these anyway. No. And by doing that, and I've, I, like I do, I, have, I do empl I employ this regularly myself. It's something I've said to people. People perhaps listening to the podcast might even try it out themselves. Yeah. You know, fast. And then, and often the rooms that disappoint you when you're walking through, often they disappoint you when you get back to them. You know, it's almost yeah. like there's something there. Or if there is a problem with the room, you maybe have to take time to work out what your own problem with that is. Yeah. And um, before we get into the mechanics of um, then again of, uh, you know what you know, like how we go through an art gallery. Sure. Do you have, are there kind of influences and examples of people who have balanced this kind of art curator collaborator kind of life that you go to? Because it tends to have been flipped over to the, the theorists have kind of, in yeah. a way, taken... I think they have, actually. And I'm trying to think... You know, Lydia, You're going to catch me up short. I'm, I'm going to say, no, but I've <laughs> said, well, no, I'm just... It's just, like, you know, like my thing, we, uh, we spoke once before about, um, like, the Buryard and the, the, sure. the, the like, relational aesthetics. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The Palais de Tokyo, you know, and, and like, we're going back 10 years and I, 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 I would be telling a lie to... To say I know what Buryard's involved in now, but mm. I do remember visiting the Palais de Tokyo, and by that time, rather than the raw building, yeah, sure, it seemed to be like turning into an art gallery. Yeah. You know, there seemed to be a bit of white walls being painted, and it was, mm. it was, it wasn't what I expected. Yeah, sure. It wasn't what the theory and write-ups had actually given me, and and. Is this perhaps this expectation is something that maybe I need to explore? But in a way, 
you run into that every time you 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 have a show in the in the Tate Courage Gallery. There yes. are expectations. Yeah, there are expectations, and I think okay. So I mean, I think a few people are kind of. Th- I suppose I think of these relational practices kind of primarily from an object position because I'm a sculptor first and foremost. So I yeah. kind of think of relational practices as involving some kind of object. And to kind of ground that in an example, think of a ceremony in a church. Think of some kind of, uh, like a meal with a family, okay? So, and Rikrit uh, Tiruvanija was a good example of someone who actually made the meal into an event. Uh, so he's someone who kind of pops into my mind. Pedro Suzo Laura, I think his name is, uh, was the uh, artist who died of, no, his boyfriend died of AIDS and he made a pile of sweets out of his body. And, um, I'm going to have to fact check that and make sure that I got his name correct. Anyway, he, um, I would think of these kind of objects and these kind of um, places where people can come together and think about something as my model for how I would create a relational practice and how I would explore this. There is a, I think there is a problem when starting from a theoretical position that often these theories um, will always evolve. They're always going to change. So I think you can't be too prescriptive in your theory. You actually have to work with process and with making first. Again, that's my personal bias, mm. but I do believe that coming from a position of practice first allows you to keep an eye on the fact that you're practice-oriented rather than going, okay, well, my theory is this ideal which I'm aiming towards. And then I suppose the issue with relational art practices is that they've been co-opted for the gallery when originally they were some kind of means of getting out of that gallery context and yeah. being somehow transformative. Whereas, I, I'm sorry, I kind of think a theoretical position often doesn't have that transformative fact written into it. So you actually have to be based in practice, the, the ex- based yes. in transformance. Yes, yes. And in the end, it's the it is the in experience. Art, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and ultimately, it's it's the experience of how you're confronting whether you're in a big empty room yeah. that you'll take away. You you wouldn't take away what someone's actually written on a piece of paper. You know, yeah. and because I, I enjoyed once we were talking to you about we were talking about the nature of in a gallery or a space mm. that could almost should always kind of be like a table and a chair and where you sculpt, some sculpture could be placed or something that people could almost like pick up yeah. and move. And then we thought, but how do we get someone to do that? Yeah. You know, without then putting a sign up. Or, and you are saying move the work, yeah. And then like, that, that kind of takes away the autonomy of the, of, person. Of the person. Yeah, yeah please feel free to... Well, to, my, my joke about that is that always as a sculptor, I've been looking for that one in 1,000 person who will come up to an artwork and push it off the plinth. I'm actually, and I know, so my joke is that I know that I'm looking for that completely unlikely person in my yeah. practice. So, but I hope that... It's hard because I, I suppose I, I have a, na- a a very strong irreverence and postmodern scepticism to the entire art practice, the art world and everything I'm involved in. So I have that scepticism as a starting point. So yeah. I'm looking for that as well. But I'm hoping that I suppose it comes back to our question of having more of a critical dialogue around these things and, you know, get people to be a bit more critical. But that's kind of hard, I think. I, th- I think a word that you've used in the past in conversations, which I'll raise now, is like the, you're really interested in the demystica- demystification of ac- activities and participation. Sure. And then, like, does that have to then become a, a kind of rule-based thing? Do people have, should they know something? Or you're like, you're, you know, a directive, or should they be given something, or a certain responsibility to carry a book, or... I'm do really something and you know like i'm, just, I'm interested yeah. in those you know but I th- i'm not gonna answer it f- i don't want to answer it i'm answering it for myself you know sure, you? Sure. like, like when, when i thought what, what would you want to demystify or is that the wrong or is it 
we, I the the my idea of de- demystification is hard because I want it goes back to what I said before about you know I want the work to uh, not compromise. I don't want the artwork to be compromised, and I don't want the the public to be uh, condescended to. So I want the work to be spoken about, and the demystification. I think thinking more about it is like. People walk into a gallery of an expectation that an artist is somehow higher than them. They're on some kind of plane. It's like that's, I feel that's bullshit. I think that artists are expressing profound and deep truths about human existence. I do believe in that in a transcendental kind of art sense, I suppose. Yeah. I, I don't mind chucking out that word occasionally. You're I think removing that, the notion of the genius. Yeah, yes, but that's absolutely. precisely it. Yes. I think artists do connect things, but I think the only difference between artists and people is that artists have trained and they've learned a technical language. That's it. You know, just as any person theoretically could learn any any practice, any skill set. So I think that, you know, the, the feedback I had at the last conversation where I had, you know, in the gallery from just the lay public was this is so this is great. I have people who come, uh, you know, I'm, I'm able to come into this situation, look at an artwork, ask the artist about the work and I'm able to get something from it, which I would never have gotten before. And that for me is fantastic i yeah. think that's so that's what i mean by doing mystification is allowing people access to something which is there they just need a little bit of a a little bit of a nudge to get to it mm-hmm. in a gentle way and do you in your experience of you, you'll know your gallery space mm-hmm. in a way arguably better than you might know your own sculptural work you know like <laughs> I, 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 you wouldn't bother doing any more you know like I've, I've done it but are you aware of like Patterns of how and behaviour patterns of how people go in to a gallery, oh, yeah. stand, and do you how do you feel you want to change that? I, I experiment each time we have a show. So when when I'm when I'm there because I have a day job. So like when I get away from the day yes. job to get into the gallery, but when we when we have a private view, I will be you know. For example, I'll place myself at the front one night, just kind of as in the entrance, or I'll just stand at the back and watch how people come into the space. I'll kind of put a flyer in someone's hand the moment they walk through the door. Like I like trying these different different strategies each time someone enters a space, speaking to them, changing you know, changing the parameters of their experience. It's funny how you know meeting someone at the top of the stairs as opposed to meeting them just inside the space, as opposed to meeting at the end, will change how they will react to the space. Yeah. Yes. It's quite funny. I mean, it becomes becomes this thing about how do you welcome someone into a space and then the role of the host that starts to become very important yeah. and again it brings me back to being this kind of mediator i mediate between the art and the public i suppose i'm all, i'm you know there the are people i know who, who get constantly frustrated with people coming into gallery often people they know who they mm. said if they were having a conversation over a cup of coffee or a beer they would be dealing with all forms of quite complex issues. Yeah. The minute they seem to walk into an art gallery, it's as though somebody removes all a part of their brain. That's a tough way to put it, but they lose. Yeah. Com- they don't seem to have the confidence to, to engage, and it, they find disappointment with that. Yeah, I, I, I get that this is something which we've touched on. I, I'm not disappointed by that because I'm not surprised that people feel uh, somehow inadequate. I think it. You know, in some ways it boils down to, to to art being this, I feel like everyone has this compulsion to create. It's to some, to some to more or less of a degree. And I think it's very hard for some people because that's often stamped out of them at an early age. That's one way of thinking of it. Or they feel that they didn't go down that path for a reason. So they kind of naturally get a little bit on the defensive. And I think that artists are viewed as these, viewed as these kind of open-minded bohemian type of excessive types and people get a little bit scared by that too so i think the role of a curator is to 
and or at least my view of the role of the curator is to provide people with some comfort and some space to explore and go look you know relax it's fine I'm here to talk to you come on into this space like have a look at the work if you want to have the conversation do I'm encouraging you to but I'm not forcing you to yeah, and I, I want to kind of, I want to pick up just where we finished and something mm. you've just said is that thing you, you said, I'm a curator, I'm an artist, and I also have to work. And in mm. the relation of, you know, like doing the podcast as art, inverted commas, work, yes. I've always been interested, what would be your positioning on, you, like the worker aspect of, you know, like, is working important? Is having yeah. a job, or, you know, like, you know, like, <laughs> Um, yes, it's important. It's more than important. It's absolutely necessary. Um, I think, you know, apart from anything, it just keeps me living. Um, yeah. <laughs> does it get in the way? Yes, it gets in the way. Is yes. it important? Yes, it's important because it keeps me grounded. I do actually, I, I believe that, yeah, the job keeps me grounded and keeps me kind of realizing there's a practicality to life. You know, I feel like a lot of art and curatorial practice can just disconnect from the reality of people's lives, which is after working for nine hours on a construction site, you don't have much time for aesthetic appreciation. So I feel like, yeah, I do I do respect that. And I respect people's lack of time for cultural pursuits. Mm. <laughs> but I'm trying to push it anyway. Yeah. I'm a cultural pusher. Okay. <laughs> As it were. <laughs> Thanks very much, Joshua. No, welcome. Thank you. Thank you.